your host for Lacrosse Talk PM, Rick Solom. All right, welcome to Lacrosse Talk PM. I'm Rick Solom in the studio with me, fresh from the Lacrosse County Courthouse, day two of Brad Williams coverage on Lacrosse Talk PM from the Nia Tau triple homicide trial. Well, day two of what was the jury deliberation? Because the case. Was all last week, right? This is your second day on the show. On the show, yes, we wanted to clarify that it won't be a day three. I'll tell you that. No, because (laughs) the trial is over. The trial is over, but there is no verdict. There's no verdict. So hung jury for those people that hung jury. So people that watch court shows would know what that means, even though I don't. Okay, so triple homicide happened in West Salem at a quarry north of there in 2021, July of 2021. We have two people, two suspects. Yes. One and they testified against each other during this well, trial. No, Niatau, the defendant, also known as Kush, they both had nicknames and they were often right. referred to. Niatau as Kush did not testify; he chose not to. Oh, okay. The other defendant in the case, Cam Radensack, also known as Black or Blackie, did testify for the prosecution against Tau. Yeah, so we—I mean, we have two witnesses if you if you count Cam and if you count the woman that yes, said Bridget. that said Tau killed these people right. shot and killed these people yes. but we couldn't get all 12 jurors to agree that this that he did that right they have not said how many of the jurors went which way uh, toward conviction or, or acquittal but we know that not, all 12 did not agree okay and, so- and they were given another chance uh they they said earlier today that they were deadlocked uh, went to judge levine and he said give it another try they they met for another two hours or so and at that point, the attorneys for both sides said, we're not going to get much farther in this case. So this trial is done, but we have to see whether there will be another trial anytime soon or if there will be perhaps negotiations of some sort. Some kind of plea deal? Cross they, don't County. Like, they don't like hearing the word deal. Let's put it that way. Who's There's they? Plea agree- what? Attorneys. Attorneys don't. Plea agreement or mm. negotiated plea. Yeah, it's a deal. They're making deals. It's definitely yeah. what they're doing. What what did, D, what did DA Tim Grinke say? Well, he's uh, saying that he expects to uh, attempt another trial. Probably wouldn't be for several months yet because it is a, a full court. They have a court schedule for months in the future, so it could be half a year. could be even longer than this. I mean, keep in mind that this case is almost two years after the crime right. that this trial happened. Well, and that's what, and we'll get into it in a second. And I should bring up that I'm having Police Chief Sean Kudron and I talked a little bit earlier in the day. I'm going to play that interview coming up in a minute. I bury the lead here. But we we talked not exclusively, but extensively about the drive-by shooting. And that guy that was arrested for that, DeAndre Grant, uh, he'll be in court tomorrow. He is scheduled to be in court tomorrow when could actually file charges likely to be attempted homicide at this point. But that's that would still be worked out. From what we know, there are, uh, from what we've been told, that there were seven people wounded by gunfire in that drive-by shooting, and so that's where the attempted homicide yeah. or, or reckless endangerment and, or whatever they decide to charge him. And with. the police chief and I talked quite a bit about, about uh, you know, a lot of stuff there. Last thing, the, there was a, a stabbing in Holman. Right. A 41-year-old guy named O'Brien stabbed a 43-year-old guy at his, in his home. This is having to do with what we know is, is there was a relationship, and there is a woman, there's an ex-boyfriend and a new boyfriend, and these are the two men, and they got into it got into uh, an altercation uh, where somebody got stabbed in the neck, but yes. that guy won't be in court until next month, huh? Uh, he was supposed to be in today, and that was postponed until July 7th. 
Okay. All right. I'm going to make Brad, I'm going to kick Brad out so he can go do the news. Uh, Lacrosse Police Chief Sean Kudron is going to come in here. We're going to talk about, well, he's not going to come in here. We already talked. We talked a lot about the drive-by shooting and not just that, but some of the investigative process that goes into an incident like that, what police have to do, uh, several people shot, a, a suspect on the run, and, and just how they came about arresting this guy, you know, about eight hours later. We also talked about just his past week in general, because in a statement he put out after the drive-by shooting, he said several challenging incidences this week. So he kind of alluded to some of those. But we also talked about a big drug bust. I think five or seven pounds of meth and some fentanyl was captured, I guess, along with three people in a kind of a joint effort with a bunch of different police organizations in the area. And then I got a little bit from him on legalizing marijuana in Minnesota and how just how that will affect Wisconsin. The only thing we didn't get into, and I kind of forgot, didn't jot it down in my notes, something we talked about yesterday with City Council Member Barb Jansen was the homeless situation and some amended legislation that'll start showing up in committees, in city committees, probably in two weeks. It'll be on a committee on Tuesday just changing some ways the, to enforce no camping in parks. Pretty simple legislation. We did get into it, something we talked about yesterday. If you want to listen to that podcast, go to wisdomnews.com slash podcast. Anyway, we're going to take a break. We'll be back after this. All right, welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM. I'm Rick Solom. On the phone with me now is Lacrosse Police Chief Sean Kudron, who... Uh, it's had a busy, well, a busy weekend or a busy week, or a busy month. Uh, so we, he's nice enough to give us some time here. Hi, Sean. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks, Rick. Could be could be better, I suppose. I feel. Do you feel good? You, you must feel all right. I mean, there was a the drive-by shooting, but I, you also got somebody in custody for it, right? Yeah, I mean, it was it, it was certainly uh, you know something that. Um, was surprising. Um, it was hectic for our staff. It was something that we do not want to be uh, responding to. We don't want to see this kind of crime in our city, but um, our staff worked very well together um, with many other departments that responded into the city to help us out, and, um, and which led to an arrest in a fairly short amount of time. And I'll just set it up for people that don't know there was a drive-by shooting. Uh, you would, I would say around bar time Saturday morning, I believe seven people were shot, injured, not killed, and another person was injured because of broken glass hitting the windows. The The guy was arrested, uh, DeAndrew, DeAndrew Grant, 31-year-old from Rochester, and apparently he was driving the wrong way down 3rd Street and then threw the gun on top of a business in the cross to try to get away. So what part... <laughs> First of all, would he have been better off driving the correct way down 3rd Street? It's a little easier to figure out which car he's in, though I guess if he's shooting out, out the window, it's not. You you look at the cameras, right, to find this guy for, at first or what? Yeah, so the, the, the incident uh, that took place, I mean, we um, several, several officers responded when, when it was reported that shots were being fired uh, just before bar time downtown. Um, after getting initial witness statements, um, we had the ability to immediately start looking at camera footage that we have from our cameras downtown, which started to um, tell us what happened uh, in terms of this vehicle driving the wrong way. Um, officers were able to quickly locate the vehicle, um, which was which was essentially parked and abandoned uh, just north of the area where the shooting had taken place, um, and the subject had... Um, discarded the gun, and our officers worked quickly at uh, 
at discovering, you know, where these um, well, that where was, this evidence was at. That was my one of my things. Like, did you just did you just happen to see him run out of the car on camera and then throw an object and then you kind of go and look because that's a weird place to find a gun. Yeah, there was there was uh, information that was provided through reviewing cameras. Um, we also had additional resources, canine resources, as well as uh, uh, some additional resources with our drone, um, and we were able to then uh, piece all that together um, and look in uh, basically at the business and on top of the business, and, and that gun was uh, recovered. Now he he abandons the car and then. It must run away. Do you, uh, do you, can you provide any details on how you found him? Well, basically, we were able to, you know, through the camera system, have a fairly good idea of uh, what um, who, who this individual was, uh, based on not only the vehicle itself, but uh, prior calls for service where uh, we had interacted with this individual, and then. You know, our officers just basically being on the lookout within our downtown area uh, ended up locating him. He was he was walking in the downtown area. They located him and took him into custody. Uh, we're speaking with Police Chief Sean Kudron. Now, this ha- obviously it happens at 2 a.m. I'm guessing the police chief isn't on duty at that time. Do you get a phone call? Do you get up? Do you go to work? Yeah, correct. I, I was notified of, of what was going on. Um, I was communicating with uh, other administrative staff as to uh, what was happening, what our response was, what the needs were of, of our personnel. And then uh, a little bit later in the morning, uh, came into the police department and, uh, again, um, was briefed on everything that was happening, making sure that uh, we had all the resources we needed for the case and uh, went from there. This thing, the the shooting happens around 2 a.m. Uh, people are shot, but you want to get witnesses to to understand what happened. Do you, do you like go to the hospital because you got to figure out what the motive, right? Do you go to the hospital and ask people, shooting victims like what happened, or what what's the timeline there when you start asking witnesses uh, what's going on? Yeah, so basically our our staff was involved immediately. Um, our our police officers are some of the first people on scene to start treating the victims um, and, and start helping them with uh, the medical emergencies that, that were occurring at that point from the, the gunshots and uh, other injuries that were that, that happened or, or uh, happened to these victims. Um, but our staff then stays with them as best that they can. Certainly the, the first and, and, and foremost was to get them seen medically and make sure that they were stabilized. Um, and then once we have that opportunity to speak with them to understand what happened, uh, to get their essentially their version of, of events, what they witnessed, what they saw, what they heard, um, which helps us pull our uh, information together uh, to, to pull the case together. Now, you've been police chief for, I want to say, three years. Usually I ask you this before you come on. Is it about three <laughs> Are we at three? Yeah, a little over, yeah, a little about three and a half or so. I yeah. just go to the pandemic and then I just go to 2020 and I go, he was police exactly. chief during the pandemic. Yeah. Um, ha- have you ever, and you've been, but you've been in law enforcement in lacrosse for a long time. I think you were in investigations as well uh, for years, right. right? Like a, like a yeah. decade or more. Yeah. I, yeah. I was in investigations for, for a pretty long time. Yeah. Now is there, I don't, I don't want to say rank because that's weird, but like, where does this fall in, in terms of like, I, I haven't experienced a drive by shooting in the cross before, but ha, I mean, has there been these before? Have you, have you experienced something like this before? 
I've experienced uh, drive-by shootings that, that I've investigated before, but this one, in terms of the number of people uh, that were injured as well as the location and, and timing of when it occurred, um, you know, this one was significant. And, and I think it's important for, you know, our community to understand that this does not happen all the time. Um, but, you know, this kind of case can happen in the city of La Crosse. And, and what was important was, number one, that our, our staff, I mean, the professionalism and, and dedication of our staff responding to this and providing that uh, medical treatment immediately and then consistently staying with the case, working the case, and, and arresting the suspect. Um, that's what was really important to me, and, and just knowing that although this is tragic and, and it happened, we had the staff and uh, the expertise to, to bring it to a conclusion in a rather uh, quick amount of time. Yeah, I mean, I've I've been here during incidents where, like, the guy's throwing the logging chain and you're sending the canine and shooting uh, other things at him. There there was also the south side shooting by the, like, the A&W where that was kind of a shootout, really. Uh, but to have, a, but, but at 2 in the morning, down 3rd Street at bar time in downtown La Crosse on a, on a Friday night, essentially, Saturday morning, I mean, the amount of people, you can't drive without, you know, you, you got to drive, like, five miles an hour at that point because everyone's running across the road. There's so many people out there. Yeah, and I mean that was the the you know the scary thing for our community and and just the you know the the way this type of incident unfolded um, lends itself to the tragic consequences of so many people being injured. But um, you know this is something that again we certainly are not going to tolerate in the city of La Crosse. Gun crime is not something that should be tolerated. And we're going to bring all resources possible to make sure that uh, we're looking out for the safety of our community, but also uh, making sure that these individuals are uh, brought to an arrest and, and brought into our court system. Um, I want to come bring up some other things, but first for, uh, you, you bring up guns. Uh, it was found on, on the roof. Can you explain do, do, do you, can you explain to me how you found it, like, detailed? Not detailed, but, like, how, how did you find the gun that was on the roof? Well, basically, we had the ability to, again, um, we had uh, a canine track that helped take us to that area. Okay. Uh, we were able to put a, a drone up in the air uh, to be able to see. You know, we have the cameras on the drones that we were able to see then that this gun was sitting on that roof and then uh, to bring the resources in to get up there to recover the weapon. Okay, so uh, so the dog helps. The dog can find a gun. That's interesting. Um, Absolutely. And yeah. then, I mean, is it is it pretty typical, I mean, in your experience, that uh, someone's going to discard a gun? I mean, they're by the river. I would have thrown it into the river, but maybe you didn't get down there to, to throw a gun on a roof of a building. That's, is that typical? I don't. I wouldn't say that's typical. I mean, uh, you know, in doing this job as long as I've had, I've, as I have, I've seen you know a lot of people discard uh, guns in different areas um, in, in order to just try to distance themselves from the weapon itself. But uh, again, bringing all of our resources into the investigation allowed us to recover that weapon uh, in a fair, fairly short amount of time. Yeah, and this guy was in, what's odd too is this guy was in court for for very less charges uh, earlier Friday. So I mean, and you you kind of alluded to it. The, your your police officers have dealt with him before. Yeah, that's correct. I mean, we we were aware of this individual. He was you know in court 
um, on Friday for charges that stemmed from an incident earlier in the week. Um, and so using that knowledge helped our staff, again, identify him um, and eventually, you know, leading to identifying him and, and arresting him too. All right, that's Lacrosse Police Chief Sean Cruder. All right, welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM. I'm Rick Solom on the phone with me, continuing our conversation with Lacrosse Police Chief Sean Kudra. In your statement after the shooting the next day, you said several challenging incidents this week. I know there was a child death. I know there was a big drug drug bust. There's also this drive-by shooting. Are there other things that that just that happened that kind of made this a challenging week? Well, those three incidents in and of themselves were very personnel intensive in terms of having our personnel uh, responding to those incidents and being involved in them in the investigation. There's a lot of long hours that go into all three of these incidents. Um, however, throughout the week, we had uh, a few others as well. We, we did have a, another robbery downtown that we were investigating. Uh, we had a firearms theft that we were investigating. Neither of those were related to the drive-by shooting. Um, but Again, I mean, these are these are calls that are happening that that take our staff, um, you know, away from other things, but they're investigating them. And we also had uh, uh, another staff member that was dealing with someone, and and a knife was pulled um, on an officer. So these are these are calls that um, can be pretty intense, and and these are calls that uh, in any given week, you know, one of those calls is is a lot for our department to deal with, but. Having several of them in one week, um, you know, it, it it takes a lot, but the dedication of our staff has been second to none. You bring up a knife, and there was a stabbing in, in Holman as well. But um, how, how? And I've had District Attorney Tim Grinke on my show in the past, and he, he's talked about guns being more prevalent. Do you, are you seeing that? Are you are you having to deal with guns a lot more? Um, I've seen a, a trend in, in more cases involving guns, so I would uh, I would agree with our district attorney on that. We have, uh, you know, we have seen several incidents where we've had felons who who have been in possession of guns. Um, we've had a few, you know, incidents here and there where shots have been fired, but there has been an increase in in gun use and gun possession, and uh, our staff has seen that as well. This obviously back to the drive-by that you find the gun on the top of the business. What? Where did that? Do you know where that gun came from? Was he was he legal to have a gun? Do you have you even looked into that stuff yet? Will that come out eventually? Like where will you be able to figure out where he got the gun? Well, we we are looking into that. I don't have direct answers for that right now. Um, however, we do have a uh, a tracking system that we will take all the information from the gun, and and we will put that into a, a system that should show us some history with the firearm. Uh, we will attempt to track that history the best that we can, um, and and see potentially who may have possessed that gun in the past. Um, and then in terms of the incident in and of itself. The gun is a piece of evidence that will be sent uh, to the crime lab, to the ballistic section of the crime, ra- crime lab, so that they can process it as evidence. Um, all right, so mo- moving on to the, a couple other things. The, you had a, a big drug bust, not the biggest ever, because that happened in January. You had the biggest drug bust ever in lacrosse, which is just like yay and nay, right? Like it's not, not something, it's something to celebrate and also it kind of sucks. Um, but, but you had three arrested just, uh, what last in the, in the past week, another one of these things in the past week, five pounds of meth, $49,000 in cash, I believe. 
And then and then you go to grams, 31.3 grams of fentanyl, which I, I Googled, and it's 0.07 pounds of fentanyl. Uh, first of all, like how much is, is 0.07 pounds of fentanyl? Is it like I have no idea, like because I don't know what fentanyl really is, is the powder, I guess. Yeah, I mean, any amount, any amount of fentanyl um, is dangerous. I mean, a very, very small amount of fentanyl uh, can lead to, to tragic res- results. I mean, people, you know, as you know, I mean, people are overdosing and dying from, from fentanyl overdose. So this amount of fentanyl certainly is, is, you know, an amount that's being dealt. It's being dealt out to people. And uh, that in conjunction with, um, you know, several pounds of methamphetamine uh, would would show that, you know, we've got people who are spreading poison in our communities. And those are the people that our drug investigators are, are going after. And uh, they did a very good job on this case, worked jointly with several other law enforcement agencies, and, and again, brought another investigation to a successful conclusion. Yeah, I guess the, 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 kind of bearing the lead too. five pounds of meth. One of the guys here is is from the from the report that you put out is been dealing drugs to La Crosse, Vernon, Crawford, Monroe, and Houston County across the across the river. Um, these 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 are the things that are important, right? You getting the people that like. Is there another step to this ladder? Like you got the guy that's dealing drugs, but now you need the guy that gives the guy those drugs. Well, we're always looking for that. I mean, our our investigators are are looking at trying to bring the people to justice that are really bringing the large amounts of this poison into our community. So we know we have a lot of drug users and, and, and local people who have substance abuse issues, and we want them to get all the help that they can uh, and be productive members of our community. But for the people who are bringing all of these substances in, who are dealing these substances and bringing this poison into our community in high amounts like this, those are the ones that, that we are targeting, and those are the ones that need to be held accountable. Yeah, and I probably should just have somebody that deals with uh, addicts on to talk about it. But like meth is, is meth like aside from fentanyl, which is you know dangerous. But is meth kind of like the most annoying, the dangerous thing that we got that as as, as in terms of drugs that you're you're looking for right now? Well, I don't know if I would say it's the most annoying thing in terms of drug. We've just had a a fairly strong prevalence of methamphetamine in our community for a while. Uh, when it's come to, to again, you know, the, the substance abuse issues. And, you know, methamphetamine has also been, you know, something that uh, is, is brought in from other areas into our community. So that's where our investigators are, are doing the work that they do to target those dealers that are bringing it in. Yeah, annoying was a terrible word there. I meant, like, quantity. There's just a large amount of quantity. And then in terms of you know people get addicted to it the 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 amount that they need i don't know just the the what what meth does to a person i guess is and then it then it being very prevalent in the community yeah and and like you said you know having a uh, a substance abuse expert on would would be able to probably dive a little deeper into that i mean certainly you know, we have seen um, meth addicts and, and what it does to, to their body. I mean, it, it it eats away and destroys their body. So, I mean, it, it, it definitely has significant health effects on them. And, uh, and, and again, for, for a fairly long time, you know, we have just seen um, amounts of methamphetamine coming into our community. And uh, like you said, I mean, the the amounts and the prevalence have been there, and uh, it is, again, a, a, a poison that uh, we want to take out of our community, and it starts by 
finding those individuals that are dealing it and bringing it in. We're speaking with Lacrosse Police Chief Sean Kudron, and I'm I'm talking fast because I'm trying to get everything that I want with with him on because he's busy. But uh, sticking with drugs, um, my state where I live, Minnesota, is legalizing marijuana. I think that starts in August. How uh, in tune are you with that happening? And and then do you have to do anything different, uh, thinking wise, because people will be probably coming into Wisconsin with marijuana. Yeah, you know, I, I, I have to say that we do keep track um, to an extent as far as how these laws are being passed in other states and, and where things are at um, within the state of Wisconsin in terms of the legislature and what they might uh, be looking at into the future. As far as what we have to do differently, um, the things that we really are in tuned with and focused on is you know, individuals who are driving under the influence of marijuana, that can be very dangerous. We have seen studies in states that have legalized uh, amounts of marijuana um, in possession of marijuana that they've seen higher numbers of incidents related to people driving under the influence of that substance, um, you know, which can be deadly when it comes to, to traffic accidents. So that is another thing that we um, are staying focused on and making sure that our staff is well-trained on detecting that and enforcing those laws. Yeah, it just it becomes, it probably is going to happen more often if people can go to, say, La Crescent, at a, not that there is one, it, it's not even legal yet in the state, but um, but you're, these are things you're already trained in, trying to detect. Is it hard to detect somebody that's high on marijuana while driving? Is that is that difficult to prove sometimes? Well, there's different there's different ways that um, our staff goes about that. We have individuals on our staff that are drug recognition experts, and so they run them through uh, certain levels of testing so that they can tell basically how their body is reacting uh, to the fact that they have uh, that substance within their body. Um, and and as far as the difficulty of it. Um, they, they would probably have to explain that a little bit more. I've never been trained as a drug ex, uh, recognition expert, but um, but again, I mean, they they look at a lot of very um, significant reactions that a person has when they have that substance um, on board. All right, get them on, Sean. Tell them I want to talk to somebody that that's going to tell me about. Uh, we got to, we got like a little over a month before it becomes legal. It'd be, it'd, It'd be interesting to know uh, how difficult it is. Um, last thing, and and this it's, things like this make me itchy to talk about because it, for me, this thing we don't I don't know any details except that a child died on the north side, and and that's all we know. It could be criminal. It could have been accidental. Uh, so then then we're talking on the air about uh, somebody's child dying. But is there any anything criminal that happened here, or do we not know? Well, at this point, we're still investigating all the circumstances uh, around this incident. And our investigators, again, are working uh, very diligently. And we have uh, several of our staff members dedicated to this case uh, to try to find out all the facts surrounding it. So at this point in time, it's a very active investigation. Do we know how old the, do you know, can you tell me how old the child was? Um, I can't release too much more information on that, only because of, of just how active the investigation is at this point. And, uh, and, and it is very unfortunate. I mean, any time anytime that a child dies, it, it can be difficult. Uh, 
obviously for the family, friends, and loved ones, um, but also for all the emergency staff that that responds to a case like that. Um, our firefighters, our EMS workers, and all of our officers. I mean, these are these are tough calls. These are uh, these are tough cases to investigate. And and again, I've just been very proud of the dedication of our staff and and uh, putting all the time and effort into it that they have. All right, just and then rolling back to the drive-by again. He he's in jail on a million dollars bond, uh, cash bond. Um, that you got to be happy with that, right? I don't I don't know if you happy would be a weird way to put it, but um, that seems about right for somebody that did what he did, right? Yeah, I mean, what's what's most important to me is to to keep people who are you know dangerous to our community off the streets, and I think that's what happened with with a bond like this and. You know, I'm just uh, what I want is is the streets to be safe, and people who are willing to do that kind of activity uh, shouldn't be on the streets. And, and that's important. That I guess the bond is what it is. If you go back to your investigator days, now you have him in custody. He's arrested. He's gone through one. I think he'll be on court tomorrow. But um, what 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 is the process? Do you keep interviewing people to figure out exactly the motive? I mean, he could tell you what he, he thought his motive was if, if he decides to tell you, but then you probably he could be lying too, right? Do you got to figure that? Out? Like, how do you go about figuring that out? Well, the most important thing at this stage of the investigation is just gathering as much information as possible. So talking to anybody and everybody that may have had contact with him that night, any kind of conversations that may have been had, uh, so that all of that can be uh, compiled and so that a story can start to unfold as to why this activity took place To and, and find as much knowledge to the best of our ability. And our investigators are going to just continue to work on that. How long does something like that take? I mean, is, can you put a, a number on it? It, it? Every every case is going to be different, and, and certainly the severity of this case and the number of victims and just that that type of, of activity from a suspect like that, we're going to bring um, a lot of personnel to an investigation like this to try to, again, track exactly where he was, um, who he was in touch with, and why he uh, decided to do this. All right, that's Lacrosse Police Chief Sean Kudron. All right, thanks a lot for for taking the time out, Sean. I appreciate it. You bet. Thanks, Rick. All right, we'll be back after this. All right, welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM. I'm just going to wrap up here with some some big news. But when you have the police chief on, and when you have a murder trial ending, kind of got to put the big statewide news on the back burner. But we're, we're going to talk about it here for a little bit before I uh, let you all go. Two things happen in the in Madison today. Well, one's not really in Madison, but it's just kind of talking points. But the shared revenue deal that's going to send sales tax money to municipalities, cities, uh, just basically local governments, that was signed into law today. So essentially that, that shared revenue deal is going to take one cent out of the five cent sales tax and send it to local governments. And there's some stipulations on what local governments can do with that money. But as we talk with lacrosse mayor Mitch Reynolds and on Alaska mayor Kim Smith, if they, they can only use that money for like police and fire and emergency services and I think like transportation and one other thing that it's uh, eluding me. But they, they can use that money for that. But that, that will allow local governments to reallocate other money that's already been used for those services to do other things. I think Kim Smith uh, on Alaska mayor said, you know, even just giving raises to people who deserve raises and keeping their, you know, longtime workers, their, their, 
that are that are veterans to positions really know what they're doing. Keep them around before they leave to go get other jobs elsewhere that pay better. Um, it's a billion dollars in aid as the state legislature sits on a $7 billion budget surplus. They kind of do and don't have to do with each other, but we'll get to the budget surplus in a minute. But the shared revenue thing is, is kind of funny because over the past 30 years, local governments have actually seen a decrease in state funding. I think it was like $900 billion 30 years ago, or $900 million. And then uh, in 2021, it was eight, or 2020, it was $830 million. So it actually decreased by $70 million over 30 years. So how do local governments fund everything uh, over the past 30 years with less money? Uh, so that's signed in the law. I'm sure everybody will be rejoicing that. And Assembly Rep Jill Billings of La Crosse, she will be on with me on Thursday to kind of break everything down. Uh, they've had a busy week. I asked her to come on last week, uh, too busy. And then uh, everything going on in Madison over the past couple of days, was, were, didn't really want her to come on until we had this all these things that are happening in Madison. Until she was done with all the work. Because I don't want her to come on, and then the next day they pass a shared revenue deal, and then I need her to come back on again, and everything we talked about yesterday, the day before, would be moot. So uh, the other thing that was interesting in the news, interesting is a kind of subtle way of putting it. And, and maybe, this is, maybe this is the university president kind of going over the top, but as we sit on a $7 billion state uh, budget surplus, $7 billion. We've been sitting on $7 billion. It was $3 billion two Januarys ago. So in like January of 2022, it was around predicted to be around $3 billion. And now it's grown to, it actually grew to like $7.1 billion and now shrank to $6.9 billion. Uh, funny way. These are all predictions, right? But we've been sitting on this thing for a year and a half. We haven't done anything with the budget surplus. We've just been nothing. Putting it in a bank, I guess. Uh, letting it accumulate. Maybe it's not the dumbest thing because it's accumulated to $7 billion. I don't I won't pretend I know exactly how that works, but um, while we're doing that, the Assembly Speaker Robin Voss has said he wants to cut $32 million in a in state funding to the University of Wisconsin system. So we sit on $7 billion budget surplus, and we're going to cut spending at the UW system. And the University of Wisconsin president said that if we do this, uh, he says right now 10 of the 13 campuses – are facing a $60 million deficit. And if we do this, we're going to have to close campuses. Now, I don't know if UW-La Crosse will be one of those campuses. It seems a little ridiculous to think that. But the UW system officials have asked for $436 million in state aid, additional state aid. And the state legislature, Robin Voss and the assembly, says they want to cut money. And he says they want to cut funding because of diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts. So essentially getting rid of diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts on UW campuses. Which, if you want to learn more about that, you can go to the Democratic Voice podcast. William Garcia, the Democratic Party chair, and myself, we talk kind of a lot. It was a really interesting conversation. I was picking William's brain about some of the just what is DEI, how does it work, and then just and we kind of got off on some tangents, but it was really interesting. 
you look up Democratic Voice Podcast, uh, wherever you download podcasts, or go to wisdomnews.com slash podcast. It's the episode on there. Just look for Democratic Voice, obviously. But yeah, UW System President Jay Rothman says it's just that simple. We don't have the resources to continue to simply do what we have done before. He told Senate University's committee this week that $32 million could cuts could mean campus closures, ending programs, and raising tuition. So that's where we're at, the fight in the state legislature. Anyway, that's all the time I have for today. Thank you, everybody, for listening.